The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. Why does Triple H think that a Bruce Pritchard or an Eric Bischoff would be a better fit than a Vince Russo? Bro, there is no way in hell, no way in hell, Triple H gave his blessing to those hirings. Back again. They ain't killed me yet, man. Back for more Kayfabe Podcast. Sean Oliver's Kayfabe Podcast. When do you listen to these? I'm wondering. See, I have a thing. I've always had a thing. Since, uh, it's an average size thing. Um... Since I was in high school, I would say, um, I had to fall asleep listening to talk. And it couldn't be very interesting talk because then it would engage my mind. And I'd start to think. Like, I couldn't, like, listen to an audio book that was particularly interesting or anything going to sleep because I'd get too engaged and I'd never fall asleep. It's got to be kind of like background noise it's got to be moderate but it can't be like the tv and the brightness in the room so i used to listen to wfan which is the new york sports talk radio station um while i fell asleep so i i come home as a young man um and crash and put on the radio I'd listen to talk radio. I'd listen to sports talk radio. And the reason that it was it was enough they talked about everything. It was hockey and tennis or football or whatever someone called about. And I, you know, other than football and hockey, I I didn't have an interest in baseball and and college sports. I I didn't follow. It was too involved. So they would talk about enough shit that that I could turn off and fall asleep. So that was like perfect until one, you know, I'm thinking one night though, I I became enraged at 3 AM. Someone had called up and was bad mouthing either bad mouthing my Cowboys or, or football in general. And I, and I called in, I remember I was pacing. I was living at home at the time um, in my mother's house. And I, I, I got up, and I took the the cordless phone. This is before cell phones, obviously. And, and I called into the station. Steve Summers was the host. Steve Summers, WFAN. Me here, you there, he used to say. Steve, he's still on. You can still catch him. He fill, I, I think he fills in, or, or he's got an odd spot. But he used to do the overnight. And, you know, overnight radio, that's the... You know, that's the spot for the real night crawlers. I mean, that was, even you know, on WFAN at 3 a.m., Jody McDonald used to have this wrestling insider, Rich Mancuso, come on. And they used to give an hour of, like, wrestling tips and tidbits. And 
this is before I had access. This is before the internet and stuff, so you didn't have access to the sheets. But this was the sheets before the wrestling dirt sheets. WFAN at at uh, three a.m. with Jody McDonald. But anyway, I called into this to Steve Summers to talk about. We had just drafted Troy Aikman, I think. So this is like eighty nine, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm wandering the living room. I'm on hold. To go on the Steve Summers show, it, like so. By the time I get on, it's like three forty-five, and I'm having this impassioned discussion. So I'm pretty sure right after that, I had to stop listening to WFA and to fall asleep for fear that I'd be coaxed into um, calling in. It blew up my spot. I'm supposed to be falling asleep. So then, not long ago, before I, before. Anthony and I started kayfabe commentaries. Um, I was able to get some MP3s would be like floating around the internet of shoots. So I'd put a bunch of shoot interviews on the phone uh, on my uh, on the uh, the iPod, like the first iPod gimmick. The one was just white with the uh, the circular wheel, the simplicity in design, more of Steve Jobs' genius, but. I would listen to shoots uh, and uh, the old one, the, the ones that I guess had first come out. I'm trying to pinpoint the year. We started Kayfabe Commentaries in 2007. So maybe this was the mid, the mid 2000s. So I, I guess they weren't the first shoots, but by all the companies, whoever the companies were, they were putting them out at the time on RF and high spots and Ring of Honor was even doing them. And um, if I found them as MP3s, I'd throw them on and then I'd fall asleep listening to shoot interviews. And uh, then some, if I could find some classic Stern clips from back in the day, I'd, I had those on the on the i on the uh, on the iPod, and those would put me out. But now it's it's become so much harder now to uh, to find stuff. I get I get sucked into things, and it it tends to keep me up. I'm up all the fucking time. I'm up. I'm eating. But last night, I, I tried to lay down. I couldn't lay in the bed. I got up. I went and laid on a couch. And I, I made two ham sandwiches at 1230. And I, you wonder why my midsection is expanding, courtesy of your comments on YouTube. So, you know, on one of those late-night jaunts, though, I had the idea for Timeline. I was listening to a shoot interview with Billy Graham. and Somebody had glossed over, like, the title when I was like, God damn it, I could do a whole show on just that year. It was like an aha moment as I sat in my drawers eating a bowl of cereal in the dining room. That's where the timeline series came from. But I don't know. I, give me ideas. Post them on. Send them to Twitter. Tweet them, I guess I should have said, at Kayfabe Sean or at this podcast, which is at Kayfabe P. I, I need the perfect thing to fall asleep listening to. I came across... All right, so here's 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 the shit that, I, that, I, that I've gone through. I look for... Classic Stern stuff now on YouTube. And there's there's plenty of that. Some of them have video, though. So then I get sucked into, like, looking at the video. And I can't watch because I'm going to be up. So I'm watching, I'm going to be up. You know, maybe the Mike Graham guest booker would put me to sleep. No, that was entertaining. I mean, his he didn't do the booking session on that. And that's why I pulled that joke. But you know what? He He was at least engaging. And the stories about Eddie were great. Which one of our shows would have put me to sleep? Let me think. The China you shoot always comes to mind. It's being able to put me right the fuck out. But I would have thought about my frustration 
from that night. And I think that'll piss me off and make me, it'll make me stay up. It would work against me. CBD helps a little bit, takes the edge off. Waiting to, to that news report comes out that that's slowly giving me intestinal cancer. Anything that's good is bad for you. So, I so then I found I started to find I ran into reaction videos, and I don't know why this is the case, but it, it, it it's it's always a person of color reacting to rock music. But it's entertaining, so you get sucked in. You get sucked in watching No Life Shack reacting to Black Sabbath for the first time. They put themselves on camera and they play it. And they go crazy. That's entertaining. So, now, so then I get in that loop. I didn't, I didn't realize how, how many of them there. That's a thing now. Guy's got like a million subscribers. No Life Shack. Go find him. Love him. I love him. I might have him on. I want to talk to him about that. There's a brilliance there. But I get sucked in, and so then, then I can't I, then I can't fall asleep. Now I'm up for hours. I'll sit and watch that shit for three hours. Like I'll go right down that fucking YouTube rabbit hole. God damn it. Then I came across <laughs> ASMR shoeshine videos. That's a thing, too. There's a thing for everything. I realized that when those... The, the fuzzy thing. When people dress like stuffed animals. And, that, and, they, and they were sexually attracted to other animals like that. I was like, God damn, there's something for everybody. A little Jim Cornette right there, God damn. Fuck. Fuzzy motherfuckers fucking each other, God damn. ASMR shoe shine videos. They mic the shining of the shoes. It's hypnotic. And it's not interesting. You do kind of watch the shining of the shoe so that you could fall into that a little bit. But it, it becomes very much the same after a few of them. It's just about the sound of the brushes and the shining. Some of these things last 10 minutes. I don't know what motherfuckers got 10 minutes of their life to get the shoe shined, but I envied them. I got to find something to watch. All the podcasts that I subscribe to, I'm I'm interested in. Maybe other wrestling podcasts that might put me right out. I don't know. Maybe this. I may find that listening to this put me right over the edge. But I want to know what you do. I want to know what you listen to. At Kfabe Sean, at Kfabe P. The KC Vault. Want to see all of Kayfabe Commentary's content? It's all going to be up there. There's in the hundreds of hours of programming already on the KC Vault. $14.95 a month. One price to watch all of our content. These shows were 20 bucks a piece. Just a few years ago on DVD. A la carte. Now, you've got like, I think there's like 90 full-length programs of Kayfabe commentaries on there for one low price a month. Watch them as many times as you want. And you should. People tell me they watch some of our timelines three and four times. Watch their favorite years again and again. KC Vault. Go to kcvault.pivotshare 
pivotshare.com, caseyvault.pivotshare.com. Sign up, join the revolution. We changed it all. Kayfabe Commandos stormed the Bastille and uh, and changed things. CaseyVault.PivotChair.com. What's going on, Sean? How you doing, bro? You always have a. I I haven't seen you without a microphone in front of your face for like how many years now? You've this thing. Is it attached to you? Like does it the? Well, arm... and I just upped my game, bro, because I got an arm now. I got an arm for the microphone. I got the filter here, bro, so when I won't spit all over the mic. The filter stops my spit, bro. I just got a new 4K camera. I I don't know. I don't know if you know this or not, uh, Sean. I started painting. Yes. And, bro, I'll be honest with you, Sean, and you'll appreciate that. I I noticed, bro, that a lot of people um, that I am fans of, like, they start – they paint now. Yeah. And, bro, like, literally I was watching TV and, in like, within 48 hours, you know, Stern's talking about his painting. Mm -hmm. Paul Stanley's talking about his paintings. Right. John Mellencamp's talking about his paintings. So I swear, bro, I said to myself, you know what, bro? I'm going to start painting. All these people are painting. I'm going to start painting. I'm going to do it live on Twitch. Sean, I swear to you, bro, I started as a goof. (laughs) Okay? Sean, every Wednesday, I paint live on Twitch. I've been doing it now probably, bro, for about three months. Sean, I've sold every single painting i've painted you're like, like the bob ross of of uh retired wrestlers yeah bro i swear to you i started as a goof bro i i painted a picture of disco guess how much it went for <laughs> i can't i what would i would pay for it i, I you know it, it's right. it's low bro, 708 bucks <laughs> you kidding bro, me I, I, bro i painted Meltzer. Five hundred and sixty-one dollars, bro. I've I've yet to not sell a painting. That's oh. what I painted this morning. You can see Rocky keep getting up. Yeah. I painted I painted the fiend last week, and right. and that's bids have gone out on that. But every Wednesday, bro, live on Twitch, that's what I do. I've painted for years. I, I oil painted. My mother used to oil paint. So as a little kid, I would sit and I might put my easel next to hers. I painted, but like, I consider that. You know, as totally separate world, the artistic world, you know, my acting work and the art, like I just I feel like that there's no intersection. If I put one of my paintings up, right, one of my abstract paintings, it would get like 30 cents. I think I have to lower my game and do like, I don't know, like Batista's ass or something like you've got to wrestling fans are so niche. Yeah. Yeah. No, bro, I got to be very careful about who I choose to pay because I want to I'm going to be honest with you, bro. When I paint something, I want to sell it. Right. So like there are a lot of things I want to paint that I know won't sell. Like if you painted a sunset, if you painted a sunset, not going to sell, it would not get near what a what a disco, what a disco painting would get. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, bro, that commentary I've, is unbelievable. I, I, I've painted these are the ones I've painted and I've sold them all, bro. I've painted. I said Dave Meltzer Disco. I've painted Savage. I've painted Flair. I painted Wade Keller getting punched in the face by Roman Reigns. Every every single painting I've painted has sold. Bro. I saw a beautiful one. It was uh, I believe it was Bruce Pritchard with Eric Bischoff. Yes, and yes. somebody else. The wrestling bubble. Pritch uh, uh, Heyman. 
Heyman, right? Heyman yeah, looking a little like Paul that Heyman. Over 300 bucks, bro. A little like Jay Silverheels, what played Tonto. Yeah, thank you. Listen, po- podcasting as a yeah. skill, very yeah. different than anything else. Now, everyone goes into it headlong, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it, it was yeah. the, you know, the basement dwellers uh, voice. So, but but a very different skill. You were not an interviewer ever. You were an on-camera personality, but you were cutting promos and shit like that. Why did you think you'd be able to make the transition? What skills did you have that you say, you know what? I can entertain yeah. people for 12 hours a week. You do like 12 hours of content, right? Oh, yeah, bro. We, we're, we're ridiculous, the amount of content we do. Bro, here's the bottom line. Okay, bro, my whole life, bro, I, I wasn't one of these marks that wanted to get into the wrestling business. I, I was a wrestling, bro, I was a wrestling fan, like I was a Kiss fan, like I was a baseball fan. You know, I wasn't a wrestling mark. I got into the wrestling business because I needed a job. Bro, I said all along when I got into podcasting, bro, if I'm successful in podcasting, people are going to buy into me. Okay, bro, they're not going to buy into wrestling. I, my my livelihood is not going to depend on what Vince McMahon is doing on television, bro. I'll, I'll tell you that. So they, they're going to have to buy into me and my personality. And um, that's it, bro. I, I don't even do interviews anymore. But you do have to watch the current product because you cover it on your shows. Oh, God, bro, yes. Bro, my, can I be honest with you, Sean? I, I, swear, I swear to God, I'm not saying this to cause controversy. I dread Mondays and Tuesdays because I know I got to freaking sit here. Bro, thank God I do it live on Twitch. Okay, bro? So I, I do. I watch along with, with my people on Twitch so we talk. But, bro, Mondays and Tuesdays, I get so depressed knowing that I've got to sit here and watch five hours of freaking WWE. I, I swear to God. Bro, I, bro, I, I'm not even kidding you. Sure. I'd rather watch ballet. I'd rather watch opera. I'd rather watch anything but freaking today's product. Do you know that I would pay to watch you and Disco do commentary of an opera? Oh, I would do I would do that I, before Raw. In a heartbeat, I would do that. In a heartbeat, bro. In you, a heartbeat. Your cover, you and Disco's coverage of my Vampiro interview alone oh, that was, tremendous. was beyond entertaining. Tremendous. We still talk about that to this day, bro. Have you talked to Vamp about it? I, I, I well after right after it we did oh yeah no right after it we did and he swore all of it was a hundred percent true I got listen I got to tell you with, with your podcasting stuff and before we even get into the details what you've done I'm not blowing you here what you've done I met you coming right out of TNA okay and we called you to do this you shoot thing and you were like what the hell. You didn't really have anything going on. There was no podcast. You had not written your books already. You were just done. You were done. Not, had no, not, not only that, Sean, had no idea what I was going to do. Correct. Then in whatever time it took between one show and the next show that we worked on together, you had started a podcast. One podcast. We advertised on it a little bit in the beginning. And wrestlers would come up to you when we were working together and go, Hey, how's this? What's this whole podcast thing about? And in that time, you've got, you've, how how can I say this without without uh, without uh, pulling the curtain back on anything? You are very comfortable. You're making a very comfortable living, podcasting. Yeah. Can we say? Can we say? Can we say six figures? Yeah. Podcast. You sitting in that chair right there, yes. podcasting every day, sitting in this chair. 
Sean, you know what it is? Here's where you and I are alike. Can, can we just be blunt and honest with each other? Okay? Sean, especially in wrestling, nobody wants to do the work. Sean, wh why do you think there's so much politics behind the scenes? Like, bro, I'm, I'm not going to bullshit you. Wh why, why do you think Pritchard, Heyman, and Bischoff are, are at the WWE and I'm not? Real simple. They're politicians. I'm not. I tell it like it is, whatever I feel, whatever I think the truth is, I'm going to say. But my point is, you know why they're politicians, bro? Because they take shortcuts. They don't want to put the work in. So that's where the politics come, bro. That's where the stabbing in the back comes. That's where burying you to this person and that person and spreading rumors. That's where all that begins, bro, because they don't want to do the work. From day one, nobody Nobody, bro, has ever outworked me in the wrestling business. Nobody, nobody, nobody. It's the same thing with podcasting, bro. I put the energy into my podcasting that I put into writing Raw. It's no different. And you know that, bro. I mean, my God, you, you've, you've, you've created thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of content and DVDs, and you keep coming up with different ideas. You know what it takes, bro. But that, that it's it's all work ethic, man. But specifically podcasting, I think, is almost more of an achievement because there was already an accepted status quo that if you interview uh, Jim Cornette or Kevin Nash um, and you put it on DVD, it's going to sell. That's out there already, you know? Mm -hmm. um, pot, nobody made money in podcasting. Yeah. Very few people. So for you to find a way to monetize it. Now, here's another thing people may not realize. All of your money that we're talking, the, 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 the Brinks truck that backs up to your house is loaded with cash from content, not from advertising. No advertising. All of no your money is made because people pay to hear specifically what you're saying. Because they know there's no agenda. They know there's no agenda. They know I'm not trying to get a job with the WWE. I'm not trying to get a job with AEW. I'm not going to soft soak anything, bro. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to tell you how I really feel. That That's what's, what's missing in podcasting. Everybody's towing the freaking line. Bro, when Conrad started interviewing Bruce Pritchard and Conrad started interviewing uh, uh, Eric Bischoff, bro, you could hear it was an audition for the WWE. They were putting the WWE over, and I, I, I would say, are you guys out of your? Are you guys watching what I'm watching? Give me a freaking break, bro. The product sucks. You're gonna sit there. People are listening to you, and you're actually gonna sit there and put this shit over in hopes that Vince McMahon gives you a call, bro. People know I'm not gonna do that. They know I don't give a shit. I, I don't I can support myself, bro. I, I don't need Vince McMahon and the WWE supporting me. So it's the, you get truth from me, bro. But, but let's say you're Triple H, okay? And you, maybe you listen to the podcast. Maybe you don't. But you're Triple H. You're running the goddamn company, right? For your father-in-law. Why? Why does he think Bruce Pritchard or Eric Bischoff? I'm not saying they're not. I, I don't work over there, so I don't know what goes on. Why does Triple H think that a Bruce Pritchard or an Eric Bischoff would be a better fit than a Vince Russo? Bro, there is no way in hell, no way in hell Triple H gave his blessing to those hirings. No, no way in hell. Bro, when I almost went back in 2002, Triple H and Stephanie were cock-blocking me. 
because they wanted all the power. They did not want a Vince Russo. They did not want somebody who knew more about television writing than, than them. And they made it clear. They did not want me there. Triple H publicly made it clear he didn't want me there. After everything I did for his career, bro. You have no... Bro, I must have wrote a thousand promos for Triple H. He read verbatim. Okay, I was the guy that stuck up for Triple H with that Madison Square Garden fiasco when they all wanted to hire him. All of a sudden, they want to bring Vince Russo back. Triple H is afraid he's going to lose power, him and his wife, so they're going to do everything to cock block me. So at the same time TNA was starting, okay, I went and I checked out the show. I was consulting for the WWE. I came back and I called Stephanie. I said, I'm going to work for Tina. Oh, Vince, why we want? I said, you don't, Stephanie, you don't want me there. You've made it clear. You're not talking to a moron. You don't want me there. So based on that experience, bro, there is no way in hell they had anything to do with those decisions. So you're saying, though, that that Pritchard would be there because he wouldn't rock the boat? Because doesn't everything have to go through Triple H? Uh, no, nah, bro, they, I, I'm telling you, there's no way those guys would have been hired and put in those spots. I'm telling you, bro. So who would have done it? Who would have been a likely candidate over there that would have been uh, nobody. Ch- championing Bischoff or, or... Nobody. Nobody. Bro, bro, do you, do you understand that's why the wrestling business is different than any other business? Because of the we got to protect our spot bullshit, they keep the best people available out. Okay, bro, to protect their spot, they keep the best. So what do they keep doing, bro? Here's exactly what they keep doing. They keep regurgitating the same people through the bubble. They keep regurgitating, regurgitating. And what do you get, bro? You get the same shit product. Keep bringing the same people back. You're going to keep getting the same shit product. Bro, do you understand when, when you're turning on last night's show and there's a throne and a crown and a scepter. Bro, do you know how effing uncool that is? Can you imagine a 16-year-old kid, a 15-year-old kid looking at that? But that's what I mean, bro. When you keep regurgitating these people through the bubble, that's what you're going to keep getting. Right. Let me get back to your podcasting for a minute. Yeah, let's get back to Let's talk yeah, about that's me. Enough for Triple H. Um, let's get back to my podcasting, seriously. Uh you are no stranger to new beginnings. I want to go back to your first transition, which was writing the magazine right. to becoming a writer of on-camera content. What was what was required for that transition? How did you have to change your game? Oh God, bro, I had to learn the craft. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, Vince McMahon, bro, was kind of like bringing me along and teaching me the craft, bro. The first thing I did out the gate was I would write every house show promo for every talent on the card. And, and not just one that they did over and over. If they went to Boston, you know, Philly, New York, every promo had to be different. Bro, I would literally sit at home and to go to the next TV, I would write – I mean I had a stack like of, of over 100 promos that I wrote every single one. I used to go there. We used to – and um, I used to produce that. Then all of a sudden it became specific characters. Like Vince, Vince had this idea for Goldust. It it wasn't what the Goldust character turned out to be, but Vince told me about Goldust. He wanted me to start writing for Dustin. 
Bro, then Sean became the champ, and Vince wanted me to start writing exclusively for Sean. And I used to produce everything for Sean. So, and I, so bro, I was really learning as I went along mm -hmm. till finally, bro, the creative, the TV just hit rock bottom. And the, the next logical step was, well, we've got nothing to lose. So then you, you, your next transition is from WWE to WCW, two different companies, two different cultures, two different rosters. What was the toughest part of making that transition? To well, companies? bro, the toughest part was it was a political cesspool, and I knew it from day one. And, and I mean, Sean, I'm the kind of guy that like, bro, I just want to do my work. I, I, I want to write the best show I can write. I, I don't want to be freaking involved in politics. I knew the politics were going to drag me down because I did not want to play the game. So I knew I was going to lose. And it was just, that was the beauty of the WWE, bro. Vince had my back. Nobody effed with me. So all I had to worry about was writing the show. Over there, who's talking about me? Who's burying me? Who's got Bill Bush's ear? You know, who's got JJ's ear? And I mean, it, it was that one way from day one, bro. In retrospect, a mistake? No, no, not at all. Because, um, you know, bro, like I said, it all goes back to Vince McMahon telling me to get a nanny to watch my kids. F you, bro. Like, F you. I don't, I don't regret leaving that company for a second. You've, you told that on our show, and I probably didn't spend enough time on it because it's a significant turn in your life when he says that. If I have to play devil's advocate for a minute here, a guy like Vince McMahon, who grew up that way, whose kids he raised that way, mm -hmm. is there any part of you that realizes it was, to him, an innocent comment because... That's how you do things. I mean, yeah. Vince would call people all hours of the day and night, right? I mean, you were always on call. So the guy never stopped working. Well, I'm glad it was an innocent comment because the fact of the matter is 20 years later, he's still paying for it. And you know what, bro? I don't care if you're Vince McMahon, unless you're God, okay, bro? You don't talk to people that way. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what company you own. You don't talk to people that way. I don't regret doing it. And, bro, you know what the most valuable thing is now? You know what the most valuable thing is, Sean? My son has a kid now. My son, my son's daughter is going to turn a year old. Now my son can look back. He gets it. He understands. He knows what his dad is all about because now he's a father. Bro, that's the, that's the most important and valuable thing to me. Yeah, oh, I agree. But you know what I'm saying. Like, what wasn't it, just because of where his mindset is, because of his work, it was just like saying to somebody, yeah, oh, do you, right. you need someone to go shopping for you real quick? Yeah. Do, do you, well, yeah. Did he say it Bro, to you like, get a fucking nanny? Or oh, what? no, no, just just so nonchalant. Like, you know, Vince, I, I don't know what the problem is. You're making enough nanny now, just hire, you're making enough money now, just hire a nanny to get you, to watch your kids. Bro, as soon right. as those words came out of his mouth, I was, it was over right. done so your next transition comes leaving wcw and going to tna so tell me about those two cultures tna was was really was really good at the beginning bro it was really good the thing that sucked for me early on bro was like right off the bat sean i was middled between between dixie and jeff and the reason i was middled bro is 
you know, bro, Jeff is what a 10th generation wrestler. And all of a sudden this woman comes along with all this money. She took over the company. She saved his company. Okay. Jeff took her money, but couldn't deal with it. And I mean, literally, bro, literally, his objective was to make Dixie feel like a moron. Okay, to make her feel inadequate. She knew nothing about wrestling. Don't ever open your mouth. He made her feel like a moron. So you you know me, and you know my personality. What would happen? Dixie would come to me. Because she knows Vince is not going to say, Dixie, you're a moron. No, bro. Dixie pays the freak signs of checks. Bro, no. She's my boss. So she would come to me, and Sean, here's what I would always tell her. Dixie, you got to talk to Jeff. You got to talk to Jeff. So early on, bro, what was difficult for me was being middle. Okay, bro, that was very difficult for me. Um, but that was nothing compared to Hogan and Bischoff coming in. I, I mean, Hogan, Hogan and Bischoff coming in, bro, basically was like game over. Like, bro, I, I remember there was a woman at Universal Studios um, – who kind of had our account, okay? Uh, Bernie, her name was Bernie, bro. And everybody loved her and she was very friendly with us. We were very friendly with her. It was really a family environment. Bro, the day those guys set foot in the door, Bernie, who, who did not know from Adam, came to me and she was like, Vince, she goes, I don't, I don't like this. It's just, it's not the same. And I couldn't have said it any better, bro. It was never the same from that day going forward. But guys like Hogan and Bischoff, and these are these are lifetime wrestlers, right? They, or yeah. wrestling mentality, you know, Bischoff. So uh, is it fair to say that you were never really cut to be in the wrestling business? Because yeah, of all the skullduggery and shit. Absolutely. That's why Disco's in the business. That's why people like Matt Morgan aren't in the business. You can't be a good-hearted person and exist in that business, bro. It's impossible. Mm. Right. Um, TNA ends and you come to me. We start doing some shoot interviews together. And um, you'd basically, after that, go into podcasting, which is... Uh, which is a shoot interview in in and of itself. Did were you comfortable being the sub? I mean, you were the silent subject of people's newsletter writings and books about you know you and your effect on companies and their opinion. Now you get to sit down and people want to talk to you. Finally, like you you had to keep your mouth shut when you were in TNA and WWE. You couldn't step out and say what you want to say. Now people want to talk to you. And you kind of have carte blanche because you're not indebted to anybody anymore. You could say whatever you want now. Yep. So was that liberating? Was it scary? Oh. Were you like, I'm finally going to come right? Because you were cautious for our live show, I have to say. I still felt that you were unsure of your place in the world at that time. And I think you were cautious. You're not the guy you, you are now when, I, when you first left that company. You were minding your P's and Q's a little more. Now you'll say anything, but... How about that transition to now being able to come out and name names if you wanted to, 
was that was that liberating? Was it like therapy? Well, you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, Sean, like, yeah, bro, 100 percent. Like, I wouldn't trade it in for the world. It, 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 it is it, it, bro. It is so hard for me to not say what I really want to say. So, oh, my God, bro, what a what a gift. Th th that's what people don't understand. Like, bro, when I hear the comments, oh, Vince, you're bitter and you're jealous because, you know, the WWE hasn't brought you back and they brought back Eric and all these guys. And I'm like, are you out of your life? I can't imagine working in that environment after doing this for the last five years. I, Sean, I can't imagine. But, Sean, you also got to understand. I, I am still a Christian and I still have God tempering me every day. So, bro, if you notice a lot about me, bro, bro, there, there are no physical attacks. Like I don't, I, 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 no personal, I don't personally go after people and attack people. People get confused, bro, because what I do, Sean, is I watch a television show and I critique the characters on the television show. A lot of these people, I don't know from Adam. I don't know if they're nice guys or bad guys or scumbag. I don't know. I, but I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about what I see on television. And, bro, even like even Bruce and, and even, you know, Eric, bro, part of their campaign to get back into the WWE was to bury me. And, bro, I, 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 I knew everything they were saying because, you know, Matt Coon made sure I knew. Bro, I, I didn't come back and freaking bury those guys because there, there's a part of me, you know, that, you know, God's constantly working on me that I, I won't, I just won't go all out. What's their gripe with you? Oh, my God, bro. I, I, I was a fan that walked in from the street and was more successful in, 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 in a two-year span than they've been in a 30-year span. So, but, but it's like, bro, guys, I'm sorry, but I'll go right back to this. I, I outworked every one of you assholes, bro. I worked harder than every one of you. So, like, I, I don't feel bad. I don't feel guilty. While you guys were playing your political games, I was busting my ass and doing it the right way. Next week on Kayfabe, part two. Let me ask you the million-dollar question, because it's been a long time since the nanny comment. Has a McMahon contacted you since then? The fact that Vince Russo told us in that first part of this interview that he was deriving that, that six-figure income entirely from fans paying for content is so significant nowadays. It really is. This is a day and age where nobody wants to pay for anything. That Netflix walked in and blew up the model that art and entertainment are to be paid for and that there's a value attached to it. The actual value, I can tell you, I did this for, for my book, uh, The Business of Kayfabe, used to be if you wanted to own a movie, the freedom to watch it whenever you wanted, a DVD was about, what, I don't know, 15 bucks, right? So that's what you pay for it. Then 
Netflix, in just a few years, the model went from buying a DVD and owning a show for 15 bucks to paying eight bucks a month for 5,000 shows. If you divide that eight bucks by the 5,000 shows, there's about 5,000 shows at any given time on Netflix, I believe. I researched it when when I was writing this chapter, this uh, this part of the book. But if my memory serves me correctly, there's about 5,000 shows. If you get eight bucks, you're going to break that up among 5,000 shows. It's .0016 cents per show. Movies got devalued. Shows got devalued from $15 for a DVD, let's say, to .0016 cents. There was no step down. There was no $5 plateau for 10 years and then uh, a $3 plateau for 10 years to prepare for this. Content providers had to deal with a shift from $15 to own programming in the aftermarket, after it's out of theaters, after it's off TV, to .0016 cents. Fans think, think it's great. You, you wonder why you're going to be paying so much to go to the movies? Do you want to know why you're going to be sitting through commercials in the movie theater? That was the one place that you didn't have to deal with that at one time. You sat down, went dark, you watched a few trailers, and the movie went on. Hey, you have soda commercials, candy commercials for anything before your movie starts. They're going to be cutting them into the movie eventually. They're going to get their pound of flesh. People have to eat. People in that industry have to get paid. These mega corporations that produce content, massive. Their payroll is massive. They're going to get their money. It ain't going to be .0016 cents. It's going to be a lot more. Well, we already, my the union, the Screen Actors Guild, just negotiated successfully a new netflix clause in the contract so things change already the pay structure so netflix will have to pay a fair share for programming and listen this isn't the fans fault it's natural to want something as cheaply as possible but the content providers who sold their souls for the, for these for these payments these singular payments, these upfront payments from Netflix and the other streaming companies like Amazon too. But they're the ones that devalued to, to, to this degree, down to 0.0016 cents. That's what these shows are worth now, and it's because the content providers were fine with this model. So I blame them. We're at a day and age where it's people just ex- expect something for nothing, I guess. I don't know. I'd expect something for nothing, I guess. All right, listen, I, I did an AMA, so let's see what's uh, what's been put out there, what people want to hear about. Um, let's see. Th- uh, 3J Platinum asks me, uh, will Vince McMahon ever retire or will he die before handing the reins over? 
I don't know. I, I guess he's not the retiring type. I could see where you're going with that. They'll probably be wheeling him in like Grandpa from a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Barely alive, yet, you know, people deferring to him. Uh, let's see. Uh, Keith Gamrat, if he were alive, would you want to interview Andre, but only on the condition that at some point during the interview, he was going to blow one of his infamous 30-second farts? No to that. Um, Matt Ziban, Zibanejardad, come on, help me, help me, help me. Um, in what shoot interview did you most fear for your life? You know, when Bundy leans over and, and grabs you by the neck, that's, that's a moment. That's a moment. And Chris liked to do that shit, man. Chris liked to, to scare me. Did it one time before the roast, right before we were announced to go in. I was going to go on stage and introduce the dais for the first uh, ring roasts. And he comes up to me with with some issue. I, I think he wasn't being introduced last, he said. And he started going off. And I'm standing literally ready to walk through the door. He's like, how the hell could you introduce New Jack before me? Or whoever the hell it was he was complaining about. And I, I was just like, I was like, are you kidding? I, I will talk to you about anything you want after we're done here. He's like, I'm fucking with you. He used to like to do that kind of shit. One time he wasn't messing with me was when I messed up on his show, on his super card. I errantly said that George Steele, when he was working as an agent, said nasty things about him. Now, I thought I remembered from our show, George Steele saying that he confronted Bundy and said, uh, you know, you walk around like a big guy here. You had one run. You're not a major star. You're not a top guy. I remember him telling that story very clearly. So I mentioned this to Chris, to Bundy, to King Kong Bundy, and he goes berserk. He cut a 10-minute promo on George Steele. The ferociousness of which I think is singularly responsible for George's death. Because I, 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 he wasn't dead at the time. But I think this being put into the universe, into the atmosphere, probably killed him. It was vile. It was vicious. I can't repeat it. Any of it. But it was so bad. And, and I just to be sure, I said, well, listen. I said, hold on. This is all on camera, too, by the way. So I give... Uh, Adam, from our crew, my phone. And I said, listen, go outside. Could you, while we shoot, just find that clip and bring it in? Just to be sure. I, I want to play it for him. Maybe I felt Bundy didn't believe me. So Adam goes out. He comes back in. And uh, I said, well, did you get it? And he's like, um, yeah, I, I did find what you're talking about. But you may want to listen again. They play the clip. And it's George Steele saying that Chief J. Strongbow was the one that actually said it. It's so quick and it's low. It's in a trailer. There's music under it. He And he says, and Chief said, ah, Bundy, you only had one run. You're walking around here like you're a big guy. Well, 
I now sat there with that. And Bundy leaned in and said, you made me do that. I can't believe it. He went off. He said it was irresponsible. And listen, it was an honest mistake. I promised him I'd cut it from the show. And of course I did. But he didn't know. He had just put all that stuff on tape, on digital tape, hard drive, whatever. And so he went berserk. He went berserk, wanted to ensure that we would cut it out. And we did. But God, you know, I did text Anthony the day uh, the day King Kong Bundy died. And I said, listen, we have a great outtake from that show. Bundy's dead. Steel is dead. What's the harm? But you know what? It does betray a confidence, you know, by, by doing that. So we didn't, we didn't, we didn't put it out there. Um, let's see more questions for me. Let me take one more here. Um, uh, Seamus V, are you going to have Cornette on as a guest? Well, you, you have to know that I, that I contacted him, right? You'd have to know. Cornette is best known, probably best known for his podcast now. But his popularity had risen to the level of being able to have a podcast like that from being on our programming. So you have to know I reached out to Jim several times unsuccessfully thus far, which makes me sad. Last I heard from Jim, was, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so, and he, he, he did call. He left me a message, said he was busy. We'll talk again after next week. He's got all this shit going on. I know he's got comic books and all this stuff now, but. I had multiple mediums that he could have returned. My offer, my contact, my anything. It has yet to happen. So, I, I don't know, in corny world, I, I think that means that, you know, there's heat somehow. I don't know. Just listen. I don't know what I did. Most people don't. That's just corny. Still love him. He hates when I do that. Said it makes me sound like the retarded uncle at the... You made me sound like the fucking retarded uncle at the barbecue. You still love me despite who I am. still love you despite who you are, Jim. You were great for our programming. Gave us some great stuff. And listen, putting you in our format, sitting you beside me, helping you to be who you are, brought you a lot of opportunity. So just come on. Just come on. If you have an issue, come talk to me here about it. I don't think he's got an issue, though. I never did anything to him. But you don't You don't have to sometimes. All right. It's another week. Another one in the bag. We'll be back right here next time. All right. You want to reach out to me? It's at Sean. S-E-A-N. The podcast is at P. My company is Kayfabe Commentaries shootinterviews.com make sure you get subscribed to our vault the KC vault it's the best way to get our programming out for just a small price we've taken the Netflix model for just a small price um, you can have KC programming many hours of it many many hours of it this has been a production of Sean Oliver Media copyright 2019 music by the great Kevin McLeod licensed by a creative commons attribution license we'll catch you next time Arrivederci.